This podcast is proudly supported by Drama Victoria. You're listening to The Aside, a podcast for drama teachers and students. I'm Nick Waxman, and today we're talking with Pete Davidson, all about how to introduce puppets into the classroom. Pete Davidson is a performer, drama and theatre educator. He has his own creative puppetry studio, One Orange Sock, and he produces a podcast all about puppets called Talking Sock. To find out more, have a look for the links in the episode description. Pete sat down and answered some questions all about introducing puppetry into the classroom. Without any further ado, I bring you Pete Davidson. And we welcome to the podcast, Pete Davidson. Hello, Pete. G'day, Nick. How you doing? I'm super. Thank you very much for joining us for a second episode. That's very kind of you. My pleasure. Uh, If you haven't listened to that previous episode uh, with Pete all about uh, puppets, please do so. It was fascinating. So now we're talking about puppets in the classroom. Yeah. And I'm going to jump in with question one. Why do we use puppets in drama class? Oh, I think there's a lot of different reasons for this. Uh, I, I work with students who come from all different language backgrounds, all different, um, you know, cultures. And uh, what I find about puppetry is that a lot of the time you don't need language. Uh, so I think that the great thing about puppetry is that it's a great equalizer in the classroom. You can have your most enthusiastic student in the classroom performing with a puppet. You can also have your most shy and nervous or anxious person performing with a puppet because the puppet creates a barrier that creates a safety net between the, the puppeteer or the actor or the young student and the audience. And I think the reason we do this is we have a relationship with objects and we've, we've also had relationships with puppets often at a very, very young age. And so what you see when you walk into a classroom with a puppet is you kind of see the same joy the four-year-old version of that student must have had, uh, particularly in a high school setting with a puppet from Sesame Street or from play school. And so you you just create this beautiful, loving sense of joy among you. And I think it's a really great relationship builder. I often also use, um, puppets with students who are intellectually diverse, um, particularly students who have autism spectrum. And I think for that, it's a really great social tool in so many ways. It allows us to have uh, ways of teaching students to find calm, to find meaning in their world. Um, I'm aware of a student who I spoke with my puppet master. She has a student who makes her a puppet every week uh, because that's, that's what they're interested in. That's what they enjoy. Uh, And I believe that in the classroom, puppetry is a great way of finding parallels between subjects. Myself, I have a background in design. I actually have a design degree and a visual arts degree um, before I had a teaching degree. And then I've been kind of performing for the last 20 years. So for me, puppetry was like this beautiful merging of design uh, and the STEM sort of components of how do I make this thing? How do I uh, sew it? How do I put it together? And then the, the building aspects and of that paired with how do I educate with this and then how do I perform with this? So I think, you know, the, the cross-curricular areas of puppetry are kind of endless that way. Great. Not, not just one place to start. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how do we introduce puppets to a class? Oh, yes. Okay. So the first thing is you've got to have a respect for it before you start. So much puppetry has been done badly and we've got to respect that there is a whole uh, culture of this. There's a whole, it is a profession and it is an art form. 
The second thing I would say is to start with simple objects. So start with your hand or start with anything you have available to you in your room. You could even just start it with a glove on a hand, separate the, the fact that it is your hand. And I guess what you would do is you just try and breathe. Um, believe it or not, you would just try and give whatever it is that you're holding in your hand a breath and see if you can create a symbiosis between your personal breath and the breath of that puppet and then take it for a walk and just create a character from it if you can. Uh, but yeah, I would definitely start with object theater and then I'd probably move into something like sock puppets or something simple to teach synchronicity and how we uh, allow every syllable uh, to create a mouth movement if we're having a talking puppet. And then I'll probably move into something more like Muppetry. So more complex styles of puppets with rods that we can operate hands or like simple mechanisms. I wouldn't really approach marionettes unless you've got a level of training with it. They're, the triggers in marionettes are very tricky and also they're very expensive to repair. Uh, and on top of that, they're also very easy to tangle. So I think in a classroom, I probably could avoid marionettes unless I had someone come in. But there, there's so much more you can do. Bunraki puppetry, you could do literally by tearing strips of fabric together, tying them in knots and creating, you know, a, a stick figure out of fabric and then having three students operate that stick figure of fabric. Um, you can do that in, in really simple ways. And I would definitely do puppetry as an extension of mask. So if you do have mask in your classroom, think about what that mask does for those people, those students and those characters and how it creates uh a separation and then just think about that with the objects that are not on the face. Cool. <laughs> Great. Awesome place to start. Uh, what about some rules? You know, what are some things we need to know before exploring puppetry in class? Are there rules? Are there do's and don'ts? Yeah, I guess normal classroom rules apply. <laughs> That's my disclaimer there. Uh, I would also say that you, just like if you've ever done Commedia or neutral mask or basil mask from the Lecoq style, you'll know that you always want to turn away from the, the audience before you, you present yourself in the mask. I think there's some sort of rules there to also respect with puppetry in that you want to create that fourth wall uh, and that moment that the puppet comes alive between audience and, and puppeteer. You don't want to have contact with the puppet more than you need to. So you don't want to be touching the puppet's face with your hands. You want to make sure that there's always a, a visibility between the puppet and the person at all times. And you want to make sure that generally puppets don't touch people. I think that's, I mean, Muppetry, it's a bit different, but because it's that innocence of children, but I think generally puppets don't interact with other people as much as they do with each other. And I think mostly it's just safety apart from that. Like watch out for your other puppeteers. You can get really quickly engaged in what you're doing in front of you and completely lose your surroundings. So yeah, I don't think there's so many other rules apart from disrespect the object, um, be COVID safe with it. So sanitize it before you use it and sanitize your hands. And yeah, I think that's probably the, the basics of it. I wouldn't want to discourage you from using them in the classroom. I think it's really accessible otherwise. Wonderful. And what are the limitations of puppets? Are there limitations of puppets? Ooh. Ooh. Okay. I, I, I don't think there's limitations with puppets. I just think you need to be really considerate of how you're going to do it. And sometimes I think puppeteers, you know, there's only so many of them in a room um, to animate. Everything isn't always necessary. 
And so I would, I probably would think about rather than the limitations of puppets, how much do you need to, to do to get away with creating the illusion of that puppet? So if you're trying to create, you know, a seascape, you really only need a little flutter, you know, of, of, of a piece of fabric, which is definitely object theater to create the idea of, of, of a seascape. So you, you're, you're looking for more referential kind of stuff rather than trying to create the exact image of an ocean in a storm or something like that. Uh, I would say that puppetry has a limitation only in that once the audience member becomes aware of the puppeteer, the puppeteer is doing too much. We should be able to separate the two. Yeah, well, you spoke in the last episode, um, everyone should listen to that, absolutely, but you spoke in the last episode about an interesting uh, interpretation or production of Holding the Man that you saw at La Belvoir mm-hmm. Theatre, and I, I just wonder about that. There are people, there's Avenue Q, which is a mix of live humans and puppets. There's uh, Lion King, as we spoke about, that's a mix of that as yeah. well, and lots of other productions like War Horse. What if you wanted to do an all-puppet production of 12 Angry Men? There are no limits in terms of creativity there as well. Oh gosh. I mean, you've just got to play with archetype there, don't you? You've got to be able to make these, um, these characters individual and, and sort of, uh, I don't know. Yeah. You could, you could take that to an extreme. I think, I don't know if that's got limits. Um, it's been a while since I looked at that one. Uh, I, I don't think there are. No, I think it would be fairly simple. I mean, can you see any? Oh, no, I'm just, in that, in that I, I, I would just trying to get yourself. across the, I think puppetry is somewhat limitless. It's limited only by your imagination in the end that what you can do and how much you can get audiences to engage and relate and Definitely. connect to the puppet. And that comes down to your work with the puppet and your care for the puppet and you thinking of it in creative and authentic ways rather than as um, a gag or as a gimmick that puppets should be used authentically. Um, and that that's its only limitation, I guess, was where I was going. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think that's right. Using puppets authentically, puppets are often used as like a, a sideshow. And I feel like that's just, it's just not doing enough with them, is it? Like, if you think about what a puppet can do, you dare yourself to make a puppet emotional, dare yourself to make a puppet go for something really dramatic, as opposed to always the comic gag. Puppets are beautiful and sweet and innocent in so many often circumstances but they can also really carry off emotional depth. And I think just because they look simple and their expressions are simple, you know, the audience is also looking at the puppeteer to see how they're carrying their emotions and they're kind of embodying those emotions for the puppet. So yeah, if you're going for something like that, then I really don't think that there are any limits. Wonderful. So we're going to finish with two ideas from the Pete Davidson bag of tricks. Uh, what is a cool drama class activity for using puppets? One activity for junior years and uh, one in the senior years. Do you want, which one do you want to start with? All right. Well, I'll start with the juniors. I think the most important thing with juniors is just getting everyone engaged and getting one up and having a go. So a bit like what I said before, find a pipe cleaner and put it around your middle finger and twist it around so that you've got a ring around your middle finger and then find any like googly eyes or styrofoam balls or even paper with a couple of eyeballs drawn on them and stick it to that puppet. Uh, and so you now have two eyeballs sitting above your hand. And I think then you want to think about, okay, how do I say hello? Hello is two open moments in the hand and then they close again and start taking that, that hand puppet for a walk and just have a conversation uh, between lots of little, all the kids having a conversation together would be really great. Another thing that they could do is find their favorite soft toy um, and, and 
try and create a character from that soft toy and try and operate it. Perhaps one, if it's a teddy bear, perhaps, you know, one student shares the legs and one arm and the other student takes the, the left arm and the head and they walk it around the classroom. And just to see what kind of character, what kind of voice comes out of that bear or that soft toy or that favorite object. Um, I think that would be great. And then moving into soft puppets from there, I think soft puppets are such an easy, great access, just cutting a hole in a puppet and putting a cardboard um, mouth plate in. And then, you know, obviously be safe with glue guns and all that kind of stuff, but then creating a character from that. It's a super easy task. With seniors, I mean, you've got a lot more scope. Uh, I would love to see Commedia the Latte done with puppets. That's what I want to do next. And actually, it did have origins in puppetry as well. And if you, uh, there's an episode of my podcast with a puppeteer called Dennis Murphy, and he actually does perform with puppets and with Commedia to Masks. And I just think that it would be so great to watch those archetypal stock characters done with puppets. And all you'd need to do is twist some newspaper together um, and create beaks or paper mache heads. And then you've basically got what you need. Is that good enough? I'm not quite sure. Yeah. <laughs> is that good enough? There we go. Absolutely. That's good enough. And how would you, and that would be a fun activity. That would be a hands-on. Here's a bunch of newspaper. Here's some paper mache senior students. Let's just create something. Let's- One thing that we did in COVID actually mm-hmm. during the online learning component is I asked the students to have, just a bundle of different objects around them. So I asked them to have like a wallet, a drink bottle, a fork, uh, some cooked spaghetti, a teaspoon, a scrunchie, um, you know, just different things. And, and what I would ask them to do is perform the balcony scene between uh, Romeo and Juliet with those objects and pick any of the two objects that best embody those two characters. And with their laptops or their devices, they would push the the camera down to their hands so that all you're seeing is sort of their chest and their hands and then holding these two objects. And you ask them to recite a monologue um, or the duologue between the two characters and putting on a really funny voice. So, you know, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou Romeo? And then, you know, this, oh yeah, yeah, (laughs) there's the sun and there's Juliet. And so, you know, you've got this great understanding of immediately what object theatre is. And I think that just creates so much fun. And you could just do a roulette of different uh, scenes or, uh, you know, skits, A, B scenes that the kids have been working with uh, in your other classes and just have them recite them using objects. Amazing. Thank you. More than two ideas. Winning. (laughs) Uh, So we're going to encourage our fantastic listeners now to tune into our next episode, which is actually just going to be stolen from your feed. We're actually going to listen to a Talking Sock episode. We're going to have a listen to that. That's going to be our next episode of The Aside. Can you tell us a little bit about that episode and what they're going to be listening to? I'd love to. Okay. So Talking Sock uh, is a puppetry podcast. I interview Australian puppeteers, puppet builders, designers, and theater makers. And I asked them why puppets, because I had just as many questions about why do we do puppetry as, as every you know normal person does who doesn't have this crazy obsession that I do. And I asked them how they did it and how they got there. And um, I asked them about the careers and the shows that they've done. Uh, so we speak with people like Richard Bradshaw, who is a beautiful shadow puppeteer to people like Philip Miller, who is uh, the basically the kind of the mastermind behind Walking with Dinosaurs. Uh, we talked with Drew Wilson, who was one of the first people to walk with uh, Joey and Top Thorn in Warhorse. And I think it's really about creating awareness of puppeteers and the industry itself in Australia. 
So what episode, what episode are you going to share with us? What, what, what is it all about? Well, as this is a drama teacher and drama educator podcast and student podcast, I thought it would only be appropriate that I have my puppet teacher uh, come on the show. So the first episode with Catherine Hannaford, she is a teacher in New South Wales and she's actually written the curriculum for the New South Wales arts unit in puppetry. And so, yeah, you get to see me interview my, my own puppet master. Excellent. Very excited. Thank you so much for your time today, Pete yes. Davidson. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thanks, Nick. Please do keep listening to the next episode of The Aside that will be a Talking Sock episode. If you would like to find out more about Pete Davidson and the creative puppetry studio One Orange Sock or the podcast Talking Sock, you can find links in the description of this episode. That is all from us at The Aside. If you'd like to suggest an episode or you have a question, please feel free to email us at asidepodcast at outlook.com. We answer a number of emails each week. We also have a load of episodes in the bank, so feel free to go through our list of episodes to find one that piques your interest. Thank you to Eltham College for letting us record here, to Aaron Searle for providing the music, to Drama Victoria for their ongoing support, and of course, thank you for listening.